Welcome to the Out of the Box Podcast. We are back. Weary travelers returning to deliver our thoughts, opinions, and statistical analysis of the past weekend in softball. I'm Gray Robertson. That is Tom Canterbury. Tom, how are you? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I was in Lexington, Kentucky this morning. Now I'm back in Tuscaloosa here in God's country and couldn't be happier to be home. I, I feel like I was in Lexington for three months. It just <laughs> never stopped. It, it didn't quite have the uh, the time thought that it did when we were in College Station for nearly three years before we, it, LSU, Baton Rouge, and College Station at the end of 2019. But uh, it, it was a long time. It was close. <laughs> yeah, it was in that area. It was not a great weekend. It was an okay weekend, and we did have some good times in Lexington, but overall, it was just not a good weekend, and we're going to have to talk about that here on the show as we get you ready for your trip around the bases. We will start at the plate, talk about the Kentucky series. Alabama Falls loses two out of three. We'll talk about what that means, uh, what might need to change going forward with Texas A&M upcoming. Then we will advance to first, talk about a big weekend in the SEC. Arkansas is 9-0. and I mean, this is just something we're going to have to deal with, Tom. <laughs> Yes, and that's one of the things that we've talked about. You know, Alabama lost the series to Kentucky in 2019 and still went on to win the SEC championship. Alabama wasn't having to deal with a 9-0 Arkansas team during 2019. So, yeah, um, yeah that is something that Alabama is going to have to take care of, if at all possible, if, if they want to have the opportunity to win the conference this year. Yeah, and obviously there's other stuff that happened in the SEC. We'll talk about that as well. Right. Plus, FGCL Player of the Week. Good, uh, good battle here this week, including our first co-nominations that we'll get to Ooh, in just a bit. Look, looking forward to hear how that works out. Then we will steal second with the woman who was on the call for the games this weekend in Lexington. That would be Smitty, Michelle Smith. Looking forward to talking with Michelle, like I said, the, getting her viewpoint after watching the last two games. Unfortunately, she didn't get to see the good one. Uh, she, she saw the last <laughs> two games. Uh, where in the vicinity of the panic button should Alabama's hands be? And we'll see what Michelle has to think about that. Yeah, I know, Tom, you probably noticed on the rundown, it was a kind of light question area because I don't really have anything specifically I want to ask Michelle. I really just want to have kind of a roundtable conversation about this past weekend because, you know, she watched all the games, you know, I'm sure the first game prepping, and then the next yeah. two on the call. She sees it in a completely different, more national light than we do. We're from that Alabama lens, and I'm just really interested to see what her thoughts are overall. Mm -hmm, me too. Then we will round third. Maybe we should start doing all the shows on Tuesday because the RPI is out. So we Ooh. will discuss the RPI and what that means and cover some of the big non-SEC conference games this weekend. And then we will head home. We've got picks. We've got Tom's Hungry. And dang it, we've got Off the Wall. And... I'm really not looking forward to it, honestly, because uh, I just feel like everyone's been in a bad mood for three days, and it's yeah. really painful. <laughs> Usually, I mean, we're able to to have fun with Off the Wall, and I, and we'll we will be able to have fun with it here this episode as well. But it's like seriously bad with <laughs> what is some yeah. stuff going on online. There's really no call for it, so yeah, that's uh, something we're definitely going to have to address. Yep. So we'll get to that later. But first, Tom, 
let's address this past weekend. So again, and by the way, folks, make sure you follow us at out of the box underscore pod on the Twitter, like, share, subscribe, leave a review. If you want to call me a pompous ass on there, you can. Wouldn't be the first time this weekend somebody uses words, Tom, to describe Really? Me. We will get to that later on. Wow. Yes. I'm just glad everyone likes me. That's the most important. <laughs> as long as our, what's it called, approval rating is above 50% or at right. 50%, I'm happy with it. That it's, means... it's, it's better than virtually every president we've had in the last uh, century. <laughs> yes, exactly. So there we go. We've got to talk about this past weekend, though. Kentucky takes two of three in a wild series. Game one, Alabama won 11-6. You could make the case they dominated that game, but two kind of crazy innings, let Kentucky stick around. Game two didn't go very well. Alabama made all the mistakes they could make. The hitting wasn't there. And game three, most of you listening watched it on Monday night. And frankly, Tom, one of the most painful games I've had to call with you in a very long time. So let's open it up. Uh, your first thought from this past weekend. First thought is crazy things happen in Lexington. We we talked about that numerous times throughout all three broadcasts, and I think that's what we saw because none of the three games really went like a regular softball game. There was something nutty every single game. Uh, game number one, uh, Alabama, like you said, the bats were absolutely on fire. Rachel Lawson was making every move she could in the book. There were six different right fielders during that ball game. Uh, we saw every pitcher. Uh, she had, although not of all of them in the circle, but they all played. That's right, outside of a couple of bad innings that included errors by Montana Fouts in both those innings, Alabama really dominated that game and, and won 11-6. Final score was closer than the game was. Alabama had control of that entire matchup. Game number two, errors just did, did in the Crimson Tide. Had four, and props to Alabama for getting the bats going it was a little bit too late, but got him going in the seventh inning. Actually had the go-ahead run come up to the plate in the top of the seventh inning. So Alabama, I thought, showed a lot of heart in that game, even though they weren't playing particularly well. Came out a lot better on Monday night for the first five innings. It was absolute cruise control. Uh, Alabama had it well, un well in hand, and then just something happened in the sixth inning. And all of a sudden, uh, there were back-to-back -back home runs in the seventh, and we're going to extra innings. And uh, Kentucky got the, the win in extra innings to win the series. Not saying that Kentucky didn't deserve to win the game. Uh, they made the plays when they had to. Alabama left too many people on base in game number three. But it was just a just a crazy weekend that I don't know if it really shows where Alabama's at overall. I don't know if it really shows where Kentucky is. Amazingly, we still don't know what Kentucky is. But that's where we are. That'll be something we ask Michelle Smith later on. You know, it was very strange as I was going over the weekend stats to look at some of the pitching numbers. And I think we both agreed, Tom, that the pitching is the strength. And, you know, we never expect for pitching to be an issue in a game. And I've even said in past broadcasts and podcasts, if pitching has a bad weekend, I'm not overly concerned about it. But that being said, the stats do kind of speak for themselves. A team ERA of 344. And that was with Sarah Cornell and Jayla Torrance both pitching without allowing an earned run. 15 runs allowed, 10 earned runs overall, all from Kilfoyle and Fouts. It was just, I think, a case of Kentucky making everything difficult. I thought Kentucky battled really well, rarely went down quietly, and even in game one. And I thought it was an impressive performance from them. I assume just a small bump in the road for the pitching staff. I think the 
concerns and questions maybe should arise more if Texas A&M has the same kind of success against Montana Fouts and Lexi Kilfoyle this upcoming weekend. But I think just overall, I was surprised to see that it was the pitching that kind of let down Alabama a bit more this weekend than even the hitting. It really was. And, you know, still hitting wise, I thought Savannah Woodard, especially on Monday, you had a three for four day. I thought she hit really well. We saw the bottom of the lineup coming through on Monday as well. Uh, but you still have to remember that this is, this was the first full series that Alabama had dealing with making a lineup without Bailey Dowling. And by the way, they had to do it at the number seven team in the country that is known for their offense. So it was, it was a really tough, uh, position to put everyone in. I thought Alabama put out what I think is still their best lineup for the most part throughout that weekend for some reason. And it's now a, a multi-year thing. Alabama just has not been able to solve Autumn Humes in the circle, which is another reason why I was shocked that she didn't pitch in game number one. And it definitely showed up in game number two and in game number three as well, because Alabama had the four nothing lead and did not score after Autumn Humes came in the ball game. So uh, maybe just for some reason you can't handle Autumn Humes and um, those you're going to have to make those adjustments if Alabama matches up with Kentucky in the SEC tournament or beyond. If. Yeah. We, I it think we all know how that happens. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see, but it's just, I, I think a lot of this is chalked up to just crazy things happen in Lexington. Crazy things happen when you play Kentucky. I think if the similar, if similar things happen, against Texas A&M, I think you're right. I think then maybe there's a little bit more alarm bells going off. Yeah, I, look, let's be real, Tom. I think that the situation feels a lot more dire than it truly is. Yeah. I think just because of the nature of how the game was lost. If Alabama loses to Kentucky 5-4, but it's an even game all the way through, and Alabama ties it in the seventh, and then Kentucky wins in extras, are we really talking about this game in the same way? No, it's, it's just the way Alabama lost that makes it – seem like we should be pressing the panic button and freaking out. But at the end of the day, Alabama's lost four times this year. And as I do (laughs) some memory work here, they've lost four times this year by one run, two runs, one run, and two runs. Right. So they have not had that blowout loss. They have not had a game where they've been severely outplayed. And in the games where they have been outplayed, they've had a chance to win still. So big picture, we do have to have some perspective on this. It feels crappy right now. And I feel like just like the fans, I am in a bad mood right now. I really need some good dinner tonight. But (laughs) we do have to remember that when we look outside the weekend vacuum, this will not be the final story. And this is just a small piece of the chapter. Yeah, uh, we talked about that in the post game on on Monday. I don't think we're going to be looking back in May at man. I really wish we'd have won that game in at, in Lexington back in in March. But it's just a bump in the road on the mar- marathon that is uh, an SEC schedule. I really think some of the uh, frustration as well is if you are an Alabama fan and you're a fan of every sport, uh, the way things happened in basketball on Sunday, losing in overtime and being eliminated from the NCAA tournament and then losing the way that you lose to Kentucky on Monday in extra innings. I think that just kind of fueled the overall frustration to a boiling point for a lot of Alabama fans. So I'm going to, I'm going to give a little bit of 
perspective on that, that I think that had something to do with it. I think that's fair as well. Um, because again, how many times did I look at you on Monday and say, man, I can't believe we lost last night. I mean, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I'm sure as a fan, you're like, my goodness, we've come off of a couple of weekends uh, before um, the weekend that we went to Auburn and, and swept the same day that Alabama won the sec tournament. Um, we were thinking like, this is literally the best weekend ever for an Alabama sports fan outside of winning the football national championship, which happens every other year. But for all the other sports, it was such a great time. And, you know, that's just because the nature of sports for every high like that, you're going to have some lows. And that's what you know, we kind of ran into that low here this past weekend. All right, let's move on. We've got Texas A&M coming to town this week. Always fun. I'm doing TV on Friday. We're both together Thursday and Saturday. This is always exciting for my family because my mom is an Aggie. I have like half maroon blood, half crimson blood. So always a confusing event in the Robertson household when Alabama and Texas A&M match up. And, and, and we have love for good bull barbecue. We so, do. Yeah, so there is that. College but Station, I, I think, would both be in our top three towns in the SEC to go visit, right? I mean, we have oh, a great absolutely. time every time we're there. 100%. Never not had a good time in College Station. Uh, that being said, really need Alabama to win, like, all the games. It might be a must sweep. <laughs> that sounds ridiculous, but it might it, be a must sweep. It is ridiculous, but, yeah, 100%. Yeah. So when we look at this weekend before we uh, before we advance to first, pitching rotation, Fouts, Killfoil, Fouts, Killfoil, Fouts, Killfoil. Which do you think you lean, Tom? It's tough because Fouts had uh, how many? So Montana Fouts probably pitched she's 12 innings this past weekend. It was 11 or 12, and I would say nine of them were superb. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. She had three bad innings. Lexi Kilfoyle struggled a little bit more. And I, I don't know if that factors in. I think a lot of it still has to do with matchups. Uh, if you're worried about A&M with a long ball, uh, you go Kilfoyle. Uh, if you're not, uh, you go Montana. Uh, so A&M does hit the ball pretty well, especially with uh, your girl Haley Lee. Mm-hmm. So uh, so we'll see what happens. But if if you think the drop ball will be more effective, I could uh, I could definitely see Kilfoyle going out there game one. But at the same time, you might want to throw Montana right back out there if you're wanting to do that and allow Alexa Kilfoyle to really focus on hitting for that first game. Yeah. I'm going to focus more on the lineup in my discussion here. I, I do like the kill foil batting situation until Jenna Johnson comes back. I think that that's your right. best bet when Jenna's still, back. Still option one, in my opinion. Yes. Yeah. When Jenna's back, I think slide her in for kill foil. You know, you're good there. I think this weekend, Patrick Murphy's got to make a choice. Is it Maddie Morgan or is it Taylor Clark? I'm not sure that this platooning switching is sustainable down the stretch. I understand it. I do believe Taylor Clark is a better defender than Maddie Morgan right now. She's got a quicker first step. She's got better lateral movement. Morgan's energy, I do think, adds something different in the infield, but there are just some balls that Taylor Clark can get that Maddie cannot. At the same time, though, I trust Maddie Morgan to put it in play more than I trust Clark to do so. So it depends on what you want, and right now I think with the lineup being what it is, you have to lean – on an emphasis on the offense. So if I had the choice, I would have Morgan in there. No disrespect to Taylor Clark. Morgan is just hitting better right now. You know, but I think at some point you've got to make a choice and stick with it. That would be the one thing I'm hoping to see this weekend. 100% agree. Now, I do think there's still a case where 
maybe you put in Taylor as a defensive replacement late in the game, especially if Maddie is just batted. Uh, right. So it'll be a long before it come around. You could nitpick and say that in the seventh inning on Monday, uh, maybe Maddie Morgan should have been put back in and you just deal with her defensively in the seventh. If that's, if that's your, your issue, but same time, Taylor Clark has the, if you're looking for the one run, I think Taylor Clark has the better chance of hitting a solo home run than Maddie yeah. Morgan does. The The strikeout numbers are too high for, for Taylor overall. So it's a, it's a tough decision. It's a decision that you might not even be having to make, obviously, if Bailey Dowling doesn't get hurt. But you're in that situation. you got to make it, and we'll see what happens. But uh, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I think at some point you have to, to make a decision on who's number one. We'll see if that happens this weekend, Tom. I, you, I mean, by the time the people hear this, we're playing tomorrow. So there's not much time right. to figure things out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and hopefully, you know, again, weather, weather looks like it's coming in on Wednesday. So uh, I don't know what type of practice they're going to be able to get in tomorrow. But, you know, it's life in the SEC, and especially life in the SEC when you play Saturday, Sunday, Monday, followed up by Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Mm-hmm. All right, Tom, as we get ready to advance to first, who are we? Uh, Alyssa Brown was on base a lot. Alyssa Brown. We are Alyssa Brown. The slap is working, and we're advancing to first here on the Out of the Box podcast. When we come back, yes, Arkansas swept Mississippi State. We're not shocked. We are shocked a little bit that Florida swept LSU, and we'll talk about that plus a lot more when we get back here on the Out of the Box podcast. All right, we're back on the Out of the Box podcast. It is time to advance to first. That's Tom Canterbury. I'm Gray Robertson. Tom, oh my gosh, the SEC is wild. You know, in 2019, Alabama won the SEC by four games. I just, just a reminder, yes. they were sitting at six and three in the SEC after three weekends. That was tied for first, if you remember, with Auburn. Both teams I had six and three. I had forgotten that, but now I do remember. Right. Now, again, yeah. I say that because they were tied for first. Right. Something that you mentioned in the last segment, they were not contending with a 9-0 Arkansas or an 8-1 Florida, but that is the current situation. We'll start with the Hogs. Another sweep for the Razorbacks, 9-0 in SEC play. Five of those nine wins, Tom, of the comeback variety against the lower part of the conference. But at the end of the day, 9-0 9-0 is 9-0, and uh, it's hard not to be impressed by what Arkansas and Courtney Diefel put together. Yeah, exactly. With, you, you are what your record says you are at a certain point, and, and Arkansas is certainly 9-0. Found ways to win a couple of times. Mississippi State finally found an offense about halfway through that series, uh, but Arkansas did a good job of fighting back and winning both winning, winning the two games that Mississippi State was able to put up runs. So uh, it's, it's certainly something you got to deal with. The one positive for Alabama is both those teams you mentioned, Arkansas and Florida, Alabama does get to play. So they'll be able to take care of their own business if at all possible. Alabama getting to the point now where they're going to have to uh, sweep and you know win the majority of their series, uh, two, three, if not sweeping, to be able to keep pace uh, regardless of what the schedule is. Yeah, I will say if there is one concern about Arkansas, it's that Autumn Storm still doesn't seem to be back to All-American Autumn Storm's level, but... I mean, does she really need to be? If Mary Half is doing what she's doing right now, Half, yeah. SEC Pitcher of the Week, this weekend, 14 and a third, eight hits, three runs, all of them earned, all of those on Sunday, by the way, four walks and 15 strikeouts, 17 and two this year, 
1.08 ERA. Mary Half is pitching maybe the best softball of her career and uh, at the yeah. best time for Arkansas. I would say that. And the other concern is that maybe that they aren't in the non-conference games. They seem to be struggling against some lesser opponents as well. They are winning and, you know, they're even having to throw half and storms in those midweek games. So maybe a little concerning as far as that goes, but again, there's, they're finding ways to win and they have such solid pitching, especially with half to go along with a lineup, which from top to bottom, anybody can knock it out of the ballpark and uh, a few of them can knock it into the parking lot. So uh, it's certainly a, a team that, that you're going to have to reckon with. Cause again, the, the schedule has not been difficult. It's a backloaded schedule for them in the conference. So there's a chance they could be 11-1-12-0 when Alabama goes to Fayetteville in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and to your point about the offense, they're doing all this, missing some players at times. Daniel mm-hmm. Gibson did not play this past weekend. A couple of weekends ago, Hannah McEwen did not play. Braxton Burnside has missed a game here and there. So some of their stars have missed time, and that I think bodes well for them. I think bottom line, what we're saying is that the Arkansas thing is real, and whether or not they have actually been tested in the SEC like Alabama or like Florida. The record will be what it is, and that record might just put the Razorbacks in first in the SEC by the end of conference play. Well, there's and there's an elevated level of parity in all of college softball. Uh, we still have some of these super uh, elite teams like UCLA and Oklahoma, but we are seeing just because Arkansas hasn't been in this position before doesn't mean they can't get into it now. Uh, I think we're going to get to the point where we're going to see some of the uh, non-blue bloods in this uh, in the conference and in the entire nation be able to make these type of runs. And uh, Arkansas got it all put together. They've, they've done a good job of blending the super seniors and like, like the Storms that they got an extra year with, with some of the young ones. And um, they're, they're, they're taking advantage. They're getting the wins. And uh, we'll see if they're able to maintain. But just because it's been Florida or Alabama for the last decade, that doesn't mean that the, the other 11 teams in the conference are just going to lay down and, and let Tide and the Gators fight it out. I, I wish they would, but I don't see that <laughs> happening. It'd be easier. I'll right. say that. It certainly would be. All right. A quick word on Mississippi State. As Arkansas goes to 9 0, Mississippi State goes to 0 and 9. And I feel for the Bulldogs because they actually played really well this weekend, but just couldn't seem to get the right mixture of pitching and offense. They lost a game nine to eight or eight to seven. I can't remember. I don't have it in front of me. I think it was nine to eight. And then on Friday, lose two nothing after Annie Willis pitches just a complete gym, but the offense can help her out. I'm not sure at this point what Mississippi State has to do to actually win a conference game, but man, they sure are making it tough on themselves. Yeah, that's they haven't been able to put it all together in a single game, offensively, defensively, and pitching. They have the capability to do that. Uh, we'll see if they're able to. I don't feel the need to do a statement of regret again this week after the way they did play, even though they did get swept by Arkansas. At this point, they got to look at one game at a time and see if they can kind of start digging themselves out of the hole that they're in. It's just a, a tough start for Mississippi State, and all the elements they needed to be successful have seemed to go the opposite way. Mm. A three seven five team ERA this season, that will not cut it at all. No, not unless your offense is is – just knocking the cover off the ball every game, which has not been happening either. Let's move on to the other sweep, Florida over LSU. Now, keep in mind, the Gators did lose a midweek to UCF. And, Tom, that seemed to just piss them off because they came out and 
just destroyed LSU. 21 runs in three games on 31 hits. High tower this year is 12 and one now. An ERA just over one. Hannah Adams was superb this week, getting things going for the Florida offense. LSU was never in it. It was really shocking to watch these games and see Florida jump out to leads and LSU just look like they don't have a prayer by the third inning. I would even go to say that this weekend showed us a little bit more about LSU than it did Florida uh, and not in a positive light. Not sure what's happening in Baton Rouge. The It, it doesn't make sense. We thought no. that LSU had made that corner turn. Yeah. LSU looked like it had started moving like this. They beat Texas. They were able to do well against Texas A&M after dropping the opening game. But to lose three in the manner that they lost is, I think you're right, Tom, very concerning. You know, they were supposed to have, you know, the four-headed monster, the, the deepest pitching staff in not just the conference, but maybe in the nation. And it, whatever Betserina goes to, it seems I'm not saying I'm not saying it's Betserina making the wrong call as far as pitching, but no one is stepping up when given the opportunity. So I, I think you, you have a lot of questions if you're LSU and if you're Florida, you, you got to feel like you're in great in a great spot right now at eight and one in the conference. One of your biggest uh, weekends of the year, you got a sweep. Good thing Alabama gets an opportunity to play them and control their own destiny against them. But Florida's in, in a great spot. Yeah, LSU. You talk about that pitching staff. Sinceri two one five ERA this year. Wickersham three five zero. Gorsuch four sixteen. Only Kilponen is under two right now, and she's just at one point eight eight. That is shocking to read yeah. those numbers. Wow, and I bet their conference might be even a little bit higher. Yeah. LSU's got some things to work out and um, you know we're going to talk later on about the RPI their RPI is good but with the way the tournament is looking and we're going to talk more about that with Michelle Smith and we'll even discuss further later on uh, we'll see what LSU is doing in the postseason because uh, they've got 11 losses right now and that's just too many right I think if you're I think if LSU is a lot closer to pushing a panic button than Alabama is after uh, after what has happened here so far Absolutely, because there's a lot of evidence to back up why LSU should be worried mm-hmm. and uh, not so much for Alabama. All right, let's move on. Ole Miss takes two of three from Georgia in Oxford. Tom, I, I still don't think Ole Miss is very good, but they keep winning. I don't know. Uh, what do you think? I, I think they're one of the surprises of the season so far, that they were being picked by a lot of people as – you know, bottom one or two in this conference. And uh, I don't think they're, I think they have officially moved out of the uh, the bottom into the Enigma category because they're a team that, you, you know, they can come out there and beat you at any time. It doesn't matter if it's the game one, two, or three of the series, they are capable of winning. And that's not something that, that we kind of thought was going to be the case when things got started. No, not at all. If you had told me Ole Miss would take two of three from Georgia – like a month ago, I would have laughed, right. but Ole Miss now, has it going right now. And they do. Now, that being said, what, what what is happening in Athens? Look, the truth, it's very meh right now. Telling, telling lies, the truth is, mm-hmm. at this point. 11 and a third this weekend, 10 hits, 6 runs, 5 earned, 7 walks, 16 Ks. Now, all 6 runs and 5 earned runs were in game 1. The game Ole Miss walked off, but... At the same time, even looking at that as an overall stat line for a weekend, surprising for Mary Wilson Avant. Yeah, if you're if you're a team like Georgia, you have an ace like Avant, 
you're looking to her to win you two games every weekend and um, giving up walk-offs to, to Ole Miss is certainly not doing that. Just not as sharp as you were hoping to see her because you're going to have to ride her because behind her, not really sure what all you have if you're Georgia. Yeah. Cutting was okay. She actually did get the win this weekend. I think it was either her or uh or Madison Kerpix. I apologize if I'm pronouncing that wrong. I haven't done Georgia prep this year, but <laughs> it's interesting. And by the way, Georgia welcomes Florida to town this weekend. So we will see what that means for Lou Harris, Champer and the Bulldogs. Which again, that's why Florida is in such a good spot because they got a sweep in one of their really tough series. And now they have an opportunity to get one where you could make the case. And I know we're going to make our pay, our picks later that Florida maybe is should get a sweep over Georgia at this point. And can afford to not get a sweep as right. well. Yep. Mm. So we'll, we'll see what happens. All right, let's go to Columbia, Missouri. Auburn salvages game three, but they lost the series to the Tigers from Missouri two to one. It appears based on some reporting nicely done by our friends at D1 softball, but Maddie Penta did not pitch this weekend because of some muscle tightness, but I will say Shelby Lowe was spectacular freshman of the week in the sec this week. Here's her line 14 and a third, 12 hits, one run. It was earned zero walks and 17 strikeouts. That is that Missouri offense hitting 341 this year. Yeah, and uh, we saw, you know, the first weekend when we were in in Auburn for the SEC opener, we both were very high on on what Lowe was able to do, uh, even though Alabama got the wins over. To be able to do that against that type of an offense is is certainly saying something. And if you're Auburn, you're going to have to get those type of outings because the offense just has nobody that scares you. That's that's type of outing she's going to have to have, especially against offenses the caliber of Missouri. Yeah. Uh, I, I think Auburn will be interesting to watch. Uh, Lowe, I feel like, is a rising star. And uh, freshman of the year maybe isn't out of the realm of possibility. I know I basically handed it to Aaron Koffel this weekend, but I feel like the biggest threat right now is probably Shelby Lowe from Auburn. Yeah, probably so. We're in an interesting position this next week where if you're an Alabama fan, you kind of want Auburn to, uh, to do well, which is it's it feels weird. Tom, don't sugarcoat it. You desperately need Auburn to do well this weekend. At worst, Auburn has to win one game. At yeah. worst. Yeah. Mm. But same time, I feel dirty. Even. Well, just take another shower. It's okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, yeah, we'll we'll have to just deal with it. All right. One more series before we get to the FGCL corner. Texas A&M sweeping South Carolina, including a 10-2 run rule in the middle game. A&M now sitting at 4-2 and two in SEC play. My girl Haley Lee is batting 437 with a 554 OBP. I mean, I, come on. That's awesome. Herzog is dealing. Brodus has been a reliable number two. A&M, I think they're – well, you say it, Tom. Where are they? They're an enigma category now. They're up in that, in that middle – Middle that could uh, even break out of that of the SEC. They are no longer in the bottom. They got all of the momentum. Uh, as, uh, as we're recording this, I believe they're uh, about to finish off a doubleheader sweep in their midweek, and you know that they are they're playing well coming into Tuscaloosa this weekend. Uh, and on the other on the other hand, South Carolina firmly in the bottom of the SEC. If I had a sound drop, I would drop a. They are who we thought they were. <laughs> yes. I didn't want to crowd them, 
and uh, they have been crowned at the bottom as we stand at this moment. Do Mississippi State and South Carolina play? I keep forgetting. Tom, I've got it here. South Carolina will host Mississippi State April 30th to May 2nd. Wow. I will be watching that one with peaked interest. By the way, that is right after South Carolina comes back from a trip to Gainesville, Florida. So good luck with that one. (laughs) All right. If only we saw it coming. If only. I mean, I had them 11th and you said, Gray, hold my pink lemonade. (laughs) Indeed. All right. It's time for the FGCL player of the week. Here we go. As usual. 2020 FGCL participants are eligible. This is the Florida Gulf Coast League. We've got six nominations. We will pick one winner. Tom, are you ready? Yes. First up, out of Wichita State, Neely Herring, a four for nine week, six RBIs, a home run, four walks, two strikeouts, three runs scored. From Virginia Tech, Kelsey Brown, second straight week nominated, nine of 18, two RBIs, Uh, a walk, two strikeouts, and three runs scored. From South Florida, leadoff hitter Alexis Johns. She's been the leadoff hitter for about a week, about a week and a half, really. I think last week was her first action at the top of the order consistently. And this week, she went 8 of 15, five RBIs, a couple triples, a double, three walks, a strikeout, and seven runs scored. That is good leadoff production, Tom. Absolutely. That's what you're looking for. Get on base, get her around, get her in. Mm-hmm. Jenna Green out of Presbyterian is back. 16 innings pitched this week, 14 hits, seven runs, five earned, seven walks, and 20 strikeouts. But the reason she's here, a no-hitter with 11 strikeouts in the midweek against South Carolina State. I will skip the next one and go to the last one, our defending player of the week, Mac Leonard out of Illinois State. Also, the reigning Missouri Valley Conference Player of the Week announced, I think, either this morning or last night. At the plate, six of seven, six RBIs, three home runs, a double, three walks, and seven runs scored. And in the circle, three and a third innings pitched, seven hits, four runs, three earned, a walk, and six strikeouts. My goodness. Mac Leonard has reached the point of uh, just Walker when she comes up to Blatt. Just walk her and try not to strike out when she's pitching. Right, right, yep. <laughs> and finally, our final nomination, Emily and Kaylee Erickson from BYU. Now, here's why. Emily this week was two for six with three RBIs, two home runs, a strikeout, two runs scored. Kaylee, two for five with two RBIs, a home run, a strikeout, two runs scored. Basically identical. Mm-hmm. Emily had the one extra home run. But what makes it fun, both sisters in the fourth inning of one of the games against Boise State hit home runs. It went home run, out, home run. And uh, that's just super fun, Tom. So a combined nomination from Emily and Kaylee Erickson. Wow, that, that is really cool. I wonder, I'm sure it's happened before, but I wonder how many times that sisters have home run in the same inning in college softball. The, I wonder if the sisters from Liberty have, uh, have ever done it. Uh, that would probably be the best bet. Yeah. Here recently. Hmm. I'll, I'll do some digging, see if I can yeah. find out. Give me two. Who, who are your top two from this week? I, I would be very tempted because of what she did at the plate for Mac Leonard. But I think if we give it to her when she does really well in, in one and not the other, because the ERA is a little bit high in, in three and a third innings pitched, 
I think we can safely move to somebody else this week. Not that it wasn't a good week for for Mac, uh, but I would go with either my two would be Alexis Johns from South Florida or uh, Green from Presbyterian for throwing the no hitter. Oh, interesting. Okay, so you've got the no hitter for Green. You've got Johns at South Florida, Tom. I'm actually going to give it to Alexis Johns. Okay. Alexis Johns will be our FGCL player of the week. I really like that stat line. Again, eight for 15, five RBIs, two triples, a double, three walks, a strikeout, seven runs scored. Not only driving in runs, but scoring after she gets on base and setting the table for her team as the leadoff hitter. I was I was really impressed. And I, I'm a big fan of the triple. That is, I think it's the most exciting play in softball. Uh, maybe even more than a home run, depending on the situation. I really like triples and to be able to do that as a leadoff. Um, then, then you're, if you're leading off the inning and you get the triple, then obviously you've given your team a great chance to, to score some runs that inning. So I, I'll, uh, I'm happy with our decision here. All right. Alexis Johns, congratulations. And one more time, a little love for Emily and Kaylee Erickson. Oh yeah. Very done, cool. ladies. Very cool. And I, I expect we'll, we will see them again at some point, uh, here in the F, FGCL corner. I think it's time, Tom, to do something else Alexis Johns does well. And maybe I should start putting this on the uh, nominations list. But she steals bases really quickly. She's really good at it, Tom. Yes. She she is a green light girl for the Bulls, that's for sure. And we are green light guys here on the Out of the Box podcast. We are scurrying back from Lexington and time to record a podcast for all of you. And now it is time to scurry to second and talk with one of the legends of the game, Michelle Smith. Very excited to talk with Schmitty. Schmitty's here, y'all. All right, Michelle Smith will be joining us on the other side as we get ready to steal second here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. It's time to steal second with one of the legends. That's Tom Canterbury. I'm Gray Robertson. And joining us now from ESPN, also our compatriot at the Seven Innings Podcast, one of the legends in the circle, one of the best-known faces and voices in all of college softball, the great, the incomparable Michelle Smith. Hello, Michelle. How are you? Oh, thank you. Wow, what an introduction. I'm honored. I'm honored. (laughs) Well, we have to butter you up before we get to the nitty-gritty, which is talking about (laughs) the weekend series in Lexington. And we're going to kind of start this off broad. We're going to narrow the scope as the discussion goes on. But I'm just curious what your overall thoughts are on Alabama and, and what you saw this past weekend, because I jokingly texted you after uh, after Sunday's game that you seem to see the worst of Alabama this year, unfortunately, with the games that you've been assigned. Yeah, unfortunately, it seems like the case. I was um, I called the uh, South Alabama uh, game that they, they ended up losing and then the, the two games here uh, versus Kentucky. And, you know, I, I think I, I don't think it's just an Alabama thing. This is a. Uh, this is a tough year. There's a, I think every team is, you know, has some chaos and uh, is learning a lot. Travel is different. School is different. Everything's just different. And, um, and you really have to adapt and you have to weave and swerve and, uh, and figure things out. And so I think that's one part of it. I think the other part is there's just a lot of parody. There's a lot of good teams out there and, and you can't give anybody anything because if you do, they snatch it and they run with it. And I think that really was kind of what I saw 
this weekend in the uh, Kentucky Alabama series is that Alabama just gave a little bit too much away and Kentucky was just waiting, waiting to grab it. Wanted to get your thoughts on what you saw from uh, Montana Fouts because we saw it in uh, in the first game, the one you weren't calling, but I'm, I'm assuming you you saw, you know, she had the two innings where, you know, she cruised through five and then had two rough innings on Saturday's game. And then Monday, she was just absolutely cruising again. And then all of a sudden, it just like a, a light switch went off and uh, things kind of fell apart on her in the sixth. Yeah. So I think it's a couple of things. Um, I think on the the good note is that um, last year, Montana, uh, she walked a lot of people, right? She kind of pitched around. She wasn't really in control and command of the zone, which, you know, again, those are two different things. You command a pitch and then you control your pitches. Um, This year, she's made massive changes and has done very well. Her walks are down again. Now, having said that, she's that also means she's around the strike zone a lot more. So you become predictable, which then means that your pitch calling and the way that you're working hitters becomes that much more important. So I th- I'd like to see her do things a little bit different. I'd like to see her use her change up a little bit more. I'd like to see her uh, when she's ahead, her rise ball, in my opinion, um, is she's throwing through her spin. She needs to take a little bit off of it, get a little more movement, a little less velocity. And and when she had that great movement against Mississippi State, she had those 16 strikeouts. She was lights out. And if you look at the way her ball moved in that game, it was completely different than the rise ball that I saw this weekend against Kentucky. When a ball is not moving um, uh, uh, from a rotational standpoint and a movement, uh, physical movement, it's much easier to to lay off of. So I could definitely see that Kentucky was identifying the pitch earlier and laying off of her her high stuff. They were not swinging through it. So her pitches became less competitive, less relevant. And so I think it's a combination of things. I think it's a couple of physical tweaks on getting her movement back a little bit more. And I'd like to see her call it, you know, the game a little bit differently. I would like to see that that battery and that staff um, work a little bit more inside to lefties. Uh, the, her batting average against the lefties is significantly higher for both her and Kilfoyle uh, than it is to righties. And so, to me, that's a that's a big um, that's a big sign that it's not just one pitcher. If it's both pitchers, and to me, that's that's kind of the approach that needs to be changed a little bit. And Michelle, what would be, what would uh, be your evaluation of the offense? Because it was so interesting to see Monday. Uh, the bottom of the order, which had kind of been the issue on Sunday and been the big question mark since Bailey Dowling went out, be ultra successful. Savannah Woodard was three for four. Maddie Morgan had the RBI double. Uh, whether it was fair or foul it can be debated for sure, but uh, it was odd to see the top of the order be the part that seemed to struggle. So what seems to be missing with that connectivity up and down the lineup? Yeah, I think uh, productive outs. I mean, all those doubles, I think there were five doubles in, in Monday night's game. And um, and there were a couple of times that they never even moved up an extra, an additional um, 60 feet, or if they did move up 60 feet, then they just, they, did, they didn't score. So I think it's productive outs. I think it's putting uh, the defense in motion, which uh, Kentucky actually did a really good job against Alabama on that. So I think it's, it's little things. It's uh attacking early in the zone but not too early there were a couple times that Alabama came up on on Sunday's game and they swung at 14 first pitches of which five turned into first pitch outs and you know 
and granted, Autumn Humes does a great job, but th that's still significant. You only have to throw five pitches to get five outs in a 21 out game. I mean, those are the little things that really make a big difference. And as a whole, I think the team needs to be cognizant of that. I think that if I said that statistic to the majority of the athletes on the team, they'd have no idea. So I think it's a little bit of thinking in the right manner, observing the, the game in the right manner. Um, the game will teach you everything. You just have to be open to it. And I feel like because there's maybe a little bit of chaos and a little bit of uh, um, out of rhythmness of the team, that they're missing some really big clues that the, the sport, the game is giving them so that they can make adjustments and do better. Alabama has lost four games this year by a total of six runs. They, they just lost a series on the road to the number seven team in the country by a total of three runs. Yep. Is the panic button anywhere in the vicinity right now if you're Alabama? <laughs> Uh, you know what, to me, this is, a, this is like the good medicine, you know, that tastes really awful. It's going to heal you later down the, uh, down the road if you allow it to heal you. So to me, no, it's not the panic button. It's the, well, thank you for the kick in the butt. Um, because we have some really big things that we need to work on. Yeah, Bailey Dowling going down was awful. But you know what, they're very blessed. They have Savannah Woodard, who looks really, really good. I was impressed that um, and she made that unfortunate error on Saturday's sun, sorry, Sunday's game uh, in the first inning, allowed us a, a run to score. But man, she did not blink an eye. She came back the game she had on Monday night. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, so I, I'm, I, I really feel like, you know, she's settling in there and, and looking good. I would like to see um, uh, Kaylee Tao a little bit tighter, a little bit firmer at first base. She made some mental errors and some physical errors that I think hurt hurt the team. Um, but no panic button. I think it's reflection. It's a time as an athlete, as an elite athlete, you look back and be like, man, I just got my butt kicked. To, uh, what do I need to do to get better? And, and there are those times in the season where you just, you own it, you suck it up and you say, we got to do this, 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 and this. And then, you know, that list can be kind of long and, and you got to make those changes. So I don't think panic yet. Um, Coach Murphy may not want me to call any more Alabama games since I have called three of the four <laughs> losses. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, from what I see, and I've been through it all as an athlete and, and as a uh, analyst, uh, sometimes the losses that are profound wake you up. And, and I would hope that at some point in May, that the leadership on that team is going to say, hey, remember what it was like when we were in Lexington? Remember what it was like when we were up by two going into the seventh? Remember, remember, remember. And you hold on to those lessons to help drive you through uh, the hard stuff that still is yet to come in the season. Mm, I love that. Michelle Smith is joining us now and making just awesome points. And I, I do feel like we need to cover the other team as well. There were two teams playing in Lexington. Yeah. and I, I thought Kentucky was really strong at the plate. I was very impressed. It felt like they made Alabama have to work for every single out in all three games. Autumn Humes continues to be a pitcher that just for some reason, Alabama can't figure out in the last, I guess, three times, four times they've seen her. What do you make of Kentucky and where do you think they stand in the national landscape? Is this a team that can really make a push to maybe be one of those five or six elite teams? Yeah, you know what? They're fun. They're fun to watch. And they are right now, uh, you mentioned their offense. They are outstanding. Uh, Kayla Kowalik is one of the best leadoff hitters. Fast, just does an outstanding job of, of getting on base, stirring the defense. Uh, 
you know, and you look at Johnson in the two hole right behind her again, another one of those really quick crafty lefties. And then you have Aaron Coffel, the fabulous freshman who is just, man, just flashing the leather defensively and 11 home runs. I mean, just incredible for a freshman. So this is a team that puts a lot of really good components together. Uh, their, their defense, very solid as well. They're, they make the routine play and every once in a while they come up with that really wow play, which, which you have to have. Um, and to your point about Autumn Humes is that, you know what, she is, she's just in control and she commands her pitches. Her drop ball is just moving. Uh, she mixes her speeds. She has the ability to really locate pitches and um, her misses aren't big, right? So every pitch is competitive. So you can't take a pitch off as a hitter. You got to go in there with a really good plan. And if you don't, she's just going to pick you apart. She's not going to strike you out. She's not going to, you know, blow it past you, but she's just going to pick you apart and make you miss hit a lot of stuff. So, uh, you know, she's just impressive. Uh, she proves that you don't have to throw the ball 68 to 70 miles an hour to be successful in D1 softball. You just have to do a couple of things right. And, uh, and, and she just looked really strong, really, really strong in her start. I thought she was very slow getting into rhythm and relief in uh, Monday night's game. And Alabama took advantage and scored a couple runs off of her. But it seemed like once she got at that game pace, she settled in and, uh, and then the offense went to work and tied it up with you know, back-to-back -back jacks, the seven and eight hitter, excuse me, the eight and nine hitter in the seventh inning. And um, before you know it, Alabama was back on their heels. So yeah, just Kentucky is, uh, they're, they're strong to your last point. Could they be one of those like, you know, top five, top eight that you, you expect to see in Oklahoma City? If they continue to hit, if they continue to hit, I think that they could go a long, long way. Talking with Michelle Smith here on the Out of the Box podcast. And uh, one of the more surprising, I think maybe the most surprising result this weekend in the SEC was Florida sweeping LSU. And surprising because LSU really wasn't in any of the three games. Florida pretty much handled them. And that was a, kind of a, an, a statement made by the Gators. What did you take away from that series? So I think the Gators, a lot of people, you know, and last year with the, the, the weird year that we had, um, I think a lot of people kind of wrote them off when all of a sudden you lose an Amanda Lorenz and you, you lose one of the best pitchers in the game and Kelly Barnhill, I think people think, Oh, all right, they're, they're going to have a down year. Um, you know, then COVID happens and now all of a sudden here they are, they're back and they, they don't have that superstar. I mean, their biggest superstar is maybe uh, Kendall Lindemann and, and Hannah Adams. Um, but again, those aren't the like the wow, wow, you know, that you, you see in the, the top names of division one softball, but just a really complete team. And, and, you know, Tim, Tim does a good job every year of putting a very disciplined, a very well coached, uh, a very well schooled team on the field. And it starts with their defense, their pitching. If we look at Hightower, she's throwing a screwball, you know, she kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, those pitchers that go out there and are like almost announcing here comes my screwball see if you can hit it you know mm, right. I throw it on three different planes but you know see if you can hit it and um you know they get some corners when they're playing at home and um they capitalize on every little mistake that you make and they are just fundamentally sound so i think what uh, lsu ran into was a florida team that was excited because this was a big series for them and they scored early and again they kind of punched lsu in the nose and it was hard for them to, to battle back. I did feel bad for some of the LSU pitchers. I did feel like some of the 
So if you really go back and look at the um, the footage, some of the pitches that the LSU pitchers were throwing that were not getting called. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you throw against a really disciplined hitting team that Florida is, uh, you know, it's hard to recover from that. Okay, so we need to make sure Alabama gets the calls in Tuscaloosa when those teams meet up in a couple of weeks is what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's what every game is too, figuring out that umpire, that first first or second inning. Every umpire zone is a little bit different and uh, it's a big part of the game. You know, I say it all the time when I'm broadcasting, you've got the three strike zones, the umpires, the hitters, and then yours is a pitcher. And you usually hope that yours is a pitcher and the umpires align. And if they don't, <laughs> you got to figure something out, so... Uh, absolutely. Um, and the other team at the top of the SEC standings is Arkansas. And we've been on the podcast calling it the Arkansas thing. And it seems for real. I mean, this is a team that's 9-0. Yes, they have swept three of the weaker teams in the conference. But at the same time, you know, if they sweep Auburn this weekend, 12-0 and is 12-0. and I don't care who you're playing. I so agree. how for real are the Razorbacks? And, you know, strength of schedule or not, is this team in a position to really win the SEC this year? Yeah, you know, so yeah, and especially when you go back and you look at the last 12 years, it's for the regular season, it's either been Alabama or Florida. So just for Arkansas to be in a spot where they're at right now is, um, is nice to see. I think that you're right. I think part of it is strength of schedule. I think they've had some close games um, that they've, they've pulled out, which is a big part of um, being able to be undefeated in the SEC, because let's face it, it's hard to beat anybody three games in a row, you know, so Um, You know, they hit well. They have a powerful offensive team, one of the best home run hitting teams in the NCAA. Mary Half is throwing very well. Uh, They're they're gloving the ball when they need to. But I do think that um, could they sweep Auburn? Yeah, possibly. Auburn's got a young pitching staff, very good, two really good freshman pitchers. But um, this is an experienced Arkansas team. So I think they could go in there. I think they'll win the series two to one, three. Do they sweep? Maybe. Um, but then they're going to, you know, then they're going to have to play some of the, the, the big boys, the big girls and, and, uh, and really step up to continue to have that opportunity to potentially win, uh, the regular season. But I'm, I'm glad that they're having a, a banner year. Again, it just shows the strength of the entire conference. Uh, real quick thinking about what's going on out West in the PAC 12, um, UCLA right now dealing with some COVID issues. And then you have, Arizona and Washington, who kind of stumbled a little bit out of the gate, have both had rough stretches, but both seem to be kind of getting it back in groove here. Yeah, so um, I called the Arizona um, game up in uh, Washington. I'll tell you what, Gabby Plain was, whoo, she was lights out. 16 Ks in that game, and her ball was just, it was incredible the way she was moving. I think Arizona was still a little... Uh, you know, they, they, they struggled on that Florida trip. Um, they did not look good, very, very good at all offensively against Gabby playing on those two games. The other two games, I think, fortunately for Arizona were rained out um, <laughs> up there. And uh, so they went home and kind of regrouped and, and came back and uh, they had a very good series against Oregon state. So I think they've righted their ship. Um, Washington, I think is, is a great team. They're just going to struggle when Gabby's not in the circle. So the, really for me, the key with Washington is, um, can they keep enough gas in Gabby Plains, uh, you know, tank, uh, Kelly Lynch has, uh, had a couple of, you know, weak, weaker starts this year. So she's been struggling a little bit. Um, but yeah, the, the PAC 12 is interesting. I think once 
once UCLA gets back on the field, they're obviously going to be a force to be reckoned with. They have so many superstars on that team. And, and then, of course, the Hackbarth sisters and ASU, they just, uh, they're just they a really, really good team as, as well. So the pack is, is strong. They're top four or five teams. Um, obviously, SEC, and, and then you've got, you've got Oklahoma. <laughs> we can't forget Oklahoma we thought for a second things might be interesting when Iowa State came back in the seventh in game one and then game three yeah. kind of knocked any doubt out <laughs> yeah yeah that's another team that's just filled with superstars G. Juarez uh, Shannon Sell just great arms in the circle I think the question for Oklahoma and basically the Big 12 will be, you know, Texas, Oklahoma State's been inconsistent the last couple of weeks. They've had some COVID issues, I think, as well um, with some of their players, even though they continue to, to play games. So, um, you know, I think Oklahoma is, is just solid. The question for them will be once they really lock horns with a Pac-12 or an SEC team. Uh, if they haven't had a lot of late game experience or really tight games, will they, uh, you know, will they panic or will they not? Will they settle in? Um, you know, Patty always does a, you know, Coach Gasso always does a really good job of having her team prepared. So, um, yeah, but Oklahoma, Oklahoma looks very, very strong. Michelle Smith joining us here on the Out of the Box podcast. Michelle, before we let you go, I'm going to ask you a question that we probably should have prepped for, but I'm going to ask it anyway. And honestly, I don't even know how much you can talk about the topic because I don't really think any of us know what it means yet. But the news is kind of leaking out slowly that the NCAA is doing predetermined regionals and super regional sites. I know you mentioned it on seven innings this past week. It had been something Tom and I had heard about, I think, a week and a half ago or so. Are you concerned about this? What do you what do you think about uh, what this means for the NCAA tournament? Again, keeping in mind that we don't know what's going to go into these decisions to pick these sites. Yeah, we we don't know what we don't know. And um, the little bit that I do know is that it looks like they're going to try to control as much as they can. Um, and they've had some success with uh, basketball. You know, trying to keep everybody safe and trying to to keep the COVID exposure limited. So I think if they can figure out a way to have the regional sites, the super regional sites, for me, the big question is, is that you have this massive asset of um, the stadium in Oklahoma City, but how can you use it and truly be fair to the entire field? Because if you have one or two regionals out of that area uh, and playing on that field, then, you know, the other, the other six, super regionals that potentially don't play there are at a little bit of a disadvantage because they're not getting the opportunity to play on that field. So I think there will be questions. And I think it's a, you know, it's just a weird year trying to make sure that everybody has the same opportunities and there just might be some times and some spots where they're going to do their best to, to do what they can, but uh, there might be some eyebrows raised, but, you know, I, I do think that there's a lot of smart people in the room trying to figure out what's best for the sport and, and hopefully, you know, that'll, that'll be uh, good for the, the student athletes, the institutions, and also the fans, because that's a big part of it. I know this is one of the, one of the most exciting uh, NCAA championships that people just cannot wait to see. So I'm hoping we have a really great postseason. And it, it will also be interested to see uh, if they do the same thing with baseball, uh, with everything that came out with the men's and women's tournament this year for basketball, uh, what the equivalents will be. Absolutely. W without a doubt. And hopefully they learn their lesson that, okay, if we do and we spend this on, on baseball, then we need to do this and that for, for softball and just make sure that the, it's equitable on, on every level. Um, especially because the sports are so similar in, in the ratings and how well, you know, 
softball is perceived and, and, and loved. So I, I think they'll do the right thing. And, um, you know, I'm my, my first uh, hope is that I get to come to Tuscaloosa for the SEC tournament. You know, that's that's mm-hmm. to me one of the first big the first big, you know, stepping stones. And then what, what does it look like? You know, where are we doing selection show? And and then what does it look like for regional super regionals heading into Oklahoma City? Let me tell you, Michelle, every single guest we have had on this podcast pretty much is hoping that they can come to Tuscaloosa for that SEC tournament. (laughs) So we've all got our fingers crossed that we can all see each other and at least wave in person, right? I mean, that's what we want to do. For sure. Absolutely. You know, it's just the the greatest part of our sport is the camaraderie, you know, and um, hopefully, and that's for everybody. It's not just your own teammates, you know, but just, I think uh, all of us as analysts and in the media at this point, um, you know, just cheering on the, on the student athletes, the coaches and, and, and the sport in general. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. Well, we are so happy that we got to chat with you tonight, Michelle Smith. You're one of the legends of the sport. It's always great to hear your opinion. Thank you so much for dropping so much knowledge and truth here on the Out of the Box podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. All right, Tom, that was Michelle Smith. Top three interview we've ever had, maybe? That, that was, as the kids say, fire. That, that was some really good stuff there from uh, Michelle Smith. She gave us some real good analytical breakdowns of some things. Uh, and that right there to all you off the wallers that we're going to talk to later on. That was constructive criticism. That That is how it's done. That was good job. If I was a Alabama player and listening to that, I'd be nothing but fired up, ready to go. Yeah. Oh, so good. Michelle Smith, we love you. Thank you so much. But now, Tom, it's time to round third. The RPI came out today, Ooh. updated, and uh, it is, it is, there is some nutty stuff. I haven't looked at it. I assume Alabama fell to somewhere around 47, 48, something like that. Facebook would tell you that, but no, they're still number one. Oh, how about that? Mm. We'll talk about the rest when we get back here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Possibly, before we move on, motion to maybe move all recordings to Tuesday so that we can see the newly updated RPI. How do you feel about that? I I think we can probably make that happen. So fans, just be ready. Episodes are coming out a day later from now on. Because we have to talk about the RPI every week. And this week, again, something, uh, it's wild. Now, one thing, though, for moving uh, time of, uh, of recording Will my paycheck come a day later or how, how is this working? You're getting paid. Oh, oh. I thought I paid you in koozies, Tom. Is that <laughs> right. not? That you never bring. They're in the car. Okay. <laughs> I will tweet a video tonight. And by tonight, I mean Wednesday night. So, that, right. you know, the people listening can catch on to the joke and not be confused. Sure. <laughs> All right, top 10 in the RPI, and then we'll talk about some of the SEC teams. Number one, Alabama. Impressive, considering that people are jumping off the bandwagon left and right. I think it's time to fire everyone, but mm, what do I know? One. They're just right. number one in the RPI, the main metric the committee uses. Number, <laughs> right. number two, UCLA. Three, Florida. Four, LSU. Five, we've got our wild card, Tom. Fairfield, out of the MAAC. Yeah, they won't say they're long. No. 
Arkansas is six. They might stay there long. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Duke is seven, highest rated ACC team. Another MAAC team, or as we call it, the MAC. Canisius <laughs> is at the eighth spot. Auburn at nine, and Villanova hanging around at ten. We assume some of these teams are going to drop, but I think for the most part, the main structure that I see looks pretty accurate. We saw last week, like Boston U was number five and they won this week and, and they fell to the forties. So um, yeah, some of those metrics will start to play, play themselves out in the Fairfields and the Villanovas will start falling down. But yeah, I, I think the fact that you are seeing a Duke still that high, still the, the fact that they beat LSU, I'm sure is helping along with the ACC schedule. Uh, so we'll see where the Blue Devils end up. But uh, we talked about it with uh, with Eric Lopez last week here on the podcast. He was very high on both Duke and Clemson as far as where they're going to be at the end of the season. And the Blue Devils could be very much there. And that's nothing but good for the ACC that they're continuing to get teams other than Florida State that are being uh, reckoned with as far as in the national scene. Yeah, and Clemson is 12 in the RPI. I will point out, Oklahoma down at 16. If the committee went straight RPI right now, your 116 matchup would be Alabama and Oklahoma. I, that, no, I don't know. No, no, no. I'm glad. I'm glad, one, that the committee hopefully won't go straight RPI, and two, I'm glad the season doesn't end right now. For a lot of reasons. For a lot of reasons, because we've seen that now, unfortunately, before the season ending around this time. So Yeah. So we should talk about this. Something we talked about with Michelle Smith was the, I guess, not really a formal announcement. And honestly, I was under the impression we were keeping it a secret until I heard Michelle Smith say something on the Seven Innings podcast. So then I said, well, you know what? All bets are off. As far as we know right now, and this could change, you know, nothing is set in stone in the mm -hmm. year 2021. But yeah. as of right now, Super regionals and regional sites are going to be predetermined by the NCAA for the NCAA tournament. What does that mean? No idea. We have not been given any word on what they will look at. One part of it apparently is how your stadium could hold possible protocols. And I have to assume another part of it is simply geography. So it's going to be really fascinating, again, to see what the NCAA uses to evaluate which sites get to host. And also, which teams are on the chopping block? I mean, I just read that top 10 RPI, Alabama 1, Auburn 9. With the current situation going the way it is, there's no shot both Alabama and Auburn host regionals. So somebody, some teams out there are going to get left out in the cold, and we'll see again how this all plays out. Again, I think Michelle Smith made a good point. There are smart people who have done this before and have done this with other sports who are working on how to do this. But I think it is going to be a bummer for some teams just from a purely softball standpoint. Something else she brought up that I had not considered, but you could see super regionals being played in Oklahoma City. Uh, yeah, so you, I hadn't you thought could, of that either. You're right. Right. So you could have certain teams that could bubble themselves in OKC for – multiple weeks uh, I could see that happening I think it'll also I could see Texas getting multiple bids in the state of Texas could see Florida getting multiple bids in the state of Florida because those are two of the more open states that will have you can 
do your own protocols, but you don't have the states themselves that will be doing even more so that will have over overarching control over it. Um, so I would, and plus you get good weather, obviously in, in Texas and Florida. So I think you can, you will, you can do that. I think Alabama would probably stand a really good spot facility wise, in addition to having obviously a highly ranked team. Uh, but it's the largest, largest on-campus softball facility in the nation. I say it every broadcast we're from Tuscaloosa and it, it is true. So, uh, I, I think you, you could have a, a great spot there. So yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see, cause there's going to be some teams that are the higher seeded teams, the one or one seed in a region or a super regional that are not going to be hosting uh, because of the situation. I've talked to some people who have mentioned teams that they think are, are top five, top 10 teams that have no business hosting. And I've talked to some folks who have said, prepare for the possibility of interconference teams battling in a regional. If you look at Alabama, who were two of the closer likely tournament teams, or I guess maybe even three, but we wouldn't see all three go there, but Auburn, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State are pretty close. So, yeah. again, I think it's going to be fascinating, and I think, honestly, we have to be ready to open our minds to a strange year. I don't think yeah. that will change the seeding very much. I hope that the seeding process remains the same and that we've still got one through 16, even if they have to go on the road. One through 16 are still seeded properly. But yeah. – Hosting sites is going to be something that we just have to adjust to. And that'll be how it goes this year. And something else I just, just thought of uh, making the point about Texas and Florida being more open states. One of the still more closed state is California and Arizona. Both of them, I think Arizona just uh, started allowing some fans in for Arizona and Arizona state, maybe just people on the pass list, not even walk up just, you know, so a controlled environment. So I could see, Maybe, you know, if you're doing the bubble in Oklahoma, maybe that's where they send all the California and at West teams that are, are still pretty heavily locked down, which I don't know if that'll affect who advances out or not, but that could be a, a possibility. And unfortunately, with the way the situation is, it's going to be fluid. Now, it, it is uh, no secret the numbers are getting better overall across the country. Now, I think the last three days, there's been a slight spike that has drawn some you know, comments uh, from around the country, but overall numbers have gone down significantly from where we were a couple months ago. I, I don't know where they'll be in two months, but the way this tournament is and the all the chess pieces that have to be moved, that when this decision is announced, I feel like the NCAA has to stick with it because there are going to be oh, yeah. so many things that are going to be in motion. It will be almost impossible to ask teams to go back to the way things were yeah. if we're completely yeah. open by May. No, we, I mean, we, we heard about the Indianapolis and San Antonio bubbles two months before they happened and, and just the logistics and everything goes in. Then once you make that uh, decision, you got to stick with it. Uh, one positive is you mentioned the numbers we've said, I've heard this numerous times throughout this first year of a pandemic that whatever's going on in Europe is what's going to come to the United States within two or three weeks. Uh, London yesterday just had their first day with zero coronavirus deaths since last April. So hopefully if it's the same thing as we saw the spikes first in Europe and then they came to the United States, if now we're seeing things normalize in Europe, hopefully that's coming to the United States too. It's obviously, you know, we're all getting, when it's our turn getting vaccinated and numbers will continue to go down. 
All right, before we move on to big non-SEC conference games, any other RPI notes you want to touch on? I mean, I've got the Alabama opponents listed. Right now, Alabama's best non-SEC win, which, again, I, I kind of include LSU there. But the best yeah. one is Liberty, sitting at 13 in the RPI. Liberty Bibbity played quite a non-conference schedule, and it's certainly helping them out. Uh, and I thought Notre Dame at 18 was a little bit better than I was expecting as well. So hopefully the fact that everyone in the ACC, maybe the you know the Duke-Clemson factor is going to help Notre Dame as well. And surprised to see still Louisiana as far down as they are at 36, considering they played a really tough schedule. But you got to win some of those games. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. No one, I mean, no one's like, really hurting you i don't think you weren't expecting alabama state to to be uh be much but um you know kent state northern iowa 80 and 82 gotta try to get them in the top 75 to to help us out there with some wins yeah big non-sec conference games this week and we've already seen one tonight tennessee beat liberty six nothing which is a good win as we just talked about what liberty's been doing this year wednesday night florida at jacksonville upset alert tom or no Mm, no i don't think so all right whatever i'm sorry you know yeah i mean jacksonville not at the ucf level north carolina at clemson we just saw clemson and duke this past weekend great series between those two this is north carolina's first series since as i scroll up the calendar march 14th they have not played because of a covid pause for quite a long time and now they get four games at Clemson Hmm. yeah tough spot for North Carolina because uh we've seen teams that have had the pauses this year thankfully and and hopefully we won't see very many more but we've seen a few that have had them and they it takes a minute to kind of get back going again uh Virginia Tech had that issue we'll see how UCLA handles it when they are finally able to come back so I, I would not be shocked to see Clemson uh at least early on in that series uh get a couple pretty big W's also this weekend, maybe the biggest ACC series of the year. Uh, Virginia Tech will play at Duke four times. That'll be Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I don't know. I lean Virginia Tech because I, I just I don't know if Duke can hit Rochard, but she also can't pitch four games. So right. we'll see. We'll see. I think it's going to be really fun to watch. The ACC is not doing like the Pac-12. All four of these games count, correct? That's right. Just yep. making sure. Right. Uh, so um, yeah, that's that is a tough series. Because, like you said, Rashard can't pitch all four games. But if you're Duke, if you get one of the wins against her, then I think you feel really good about winning a three, if not, you know, two, if not definitely three against the, the Hokies. And that can really set Duke up to challenge Florida State. Yeah. And Peyton St. George and the rest of that Duke pitching staff are legit. So I uh, will see. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to have a very close eye on the ACC this weekend, Tom. That yeah, it's and that, I remember we talked about that. Shoot, it's been now three seasons ago when Alabama played at Georgia Tech in Atlanta. I remember we had the discussion because Duke and Clemson were about to play their first year, and saying that if Duke and Clemson can come in, they can. It can really mean that the ACC is that conference that's next up is the is the one that's ready to really bust out in uh, collegiate softball, and and I think we're kind of seeing it now. What was also fun about that uh, that conversation was we were talking about, okay, Florida State, we know they're the best in the conference, but who could be that number two? Now, I think you've got 
four viable contenders to be number one in the ACC and all to me, Tom, have the potential to make runs in the postseason. Now, what that means, I'm not sure, but Florida State, Virginia Tech, Duke, Clemson, they're all really good this year. And then you have teams like Louisville and North Carolina that you may be in a four-game series, uh, they're not going to get swept. So, so, you know, it depends on where those wins come, but uh, they're right there at NC State could, could, could get a win here and there too. So there, there's some, there's some quality softball being played in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Mm-hmm. There also is in the SEC, and Probably, uh, I'm going to still say a little bit more, but yes, <laughs> yes, uh, j- just a little bit more. <laughs> okay, I mean we will pick the upcoming series. Tom has a bigger lead, so I'm going to have to get a little frisky. All right, no, that'll be when we right. head home. Plus, off the wall. Hmm. I, I just I, I don't know if I can. I've actually I'm actually dreading this, but we're going to do it. Uh, that Tom's hungry. I'm not dreading that oh. a lot coming up as we get ready to head home here on the Out of Box Podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. later than usual because it's daylight savings time i am ready to pass out because i feel like i've been awake for four years in the last couple days (laughs) i'm gray robertson there is tom canterbury the valiant brave soul who drove me and himself all the way back from lexington today tom are you ready to head home i am i i have numerous real crime podcasts still bouncing around in my brain from the ride home tonight just some really evil people out there. Uh, but, but Folks, <laughs> do not Google Israel Keys. Okay, no. I'm telling you right now. Jeez, goodness gracious. Uh, so, but yeah, I'm, I am ready to head home, make these picks. I guess we got to do off the wall. Tom's hungry though. That's more important. I'm very excited about that. I'm almost tempted to have off the wall be sandwiched by picks and Tom's hungry so we can get the negative surrounded by positive stuff, but we'll see how we feel. <laughs> A compliment sandwich, compliment sandwich. That's what you got to have. <laughs> As food continues to be the everlasting <laughs> theme of this podcast. All right. Standings update. Tom has six. Gray has four. We both correctly picked Arkansas to sweep Mississippi State, as did, I hope, every living, breathing human being. <laughs> and then you, uh, you got lucky by Auburn winning a game. You won. You have Missouri two out of three. I was really confident in my Missouri sweep pick, and uh, Shelby Lowe just shut things down in game three. Yeah, you did not see Shelby Lowe coming uh, this time. And it's, it's just going to be hard to pick Missouri to win to sweep in my opinion, just because of the pitch by committee. And uh, if they run into a pitcher like Lowe, it's going to be hard for them to win games. But uh, I was I was confident they were going to win the series at home and they were able to do it. All right. So that means, again, you won the week. You're going first. Okay. This will be All the right. final time you go first. Uh, if I win the week next week, or even if you win, I'm going to go first next week. I can't I can't keep throwing you under the bus like this. Well, you know, yeah, it's, it's obviously not affecting my pick, so. Wow. First series. <laughs> 
<laughs> Ole Miss at LSU. Tom, what do you think? Like I said, I, I just I think there's some something's not right at LSU, and Ole Miss is doing doing some very extra things that we didn't think they were able to do. If this was in Oxford, I would pick Ole Miss to win the series. Uh, but it being in Baton Rouge, I'm going to say 2-1 LSU. Mm, I've got the same thing written down. I'm actually – I'm a little tempted to pick LSU to sweep because this feels like a good response weekend at home facing one of the – I think we can agree as well as Ole Miss is playing, they are talent-wise a bottom half team in the league in the SEC. It's a series LSU should sweep. So – I feel like I am challenging them, and I feel like we are challenging them by both picking them 2-1. Missouri at South Carolina. How much am I really on the South Carolina is going to finish last bandwagon? Because if I are, if I am, I would need to pick Missouri to sweep. But I just said I don't think they're going to sweep anybody. So I'm going to say Missouri wins at 2-1. I'm thinking, thinking about taking South Carolina because they, they can't. They're not this bad. They're not 1-11 <laughs> and 11 bad. Are you sure? No, that's why I'm going to take Missouri 2-1. <laughs> um, yes. Kind of a strategy play here. I'm not confident in either pick, so I'm just siding with Tom's pick so I don't lose ground. Okay, um, all right. It's understandable. I- I'm going to take Missouri 2-1. I hate it, but that's what we're going with. Okay. Arkansas at Auburn. <sighs> and say, uh, Weagle Weagle, they win two out of three. Oh, that's what I was going to go with. No! Well, now you can go the other way and, and maybe pick up the series. No, I'm going Auburn 2-1. I feel really good about this because here's the one thing I do know for sure. The best pitchers that Arkansas will have faced in conference play, they will face this weekend so far. The best pitcher they will have seen is Shelby Lowe, and she's going to probably go twice against Arkansas. And uh, I like the odds of her certainly picking up one game. And I feel like at this point, the, the averages have to balance out. Arkansas is going to drop a series somewhere. Yeah, it'd be and, tremendous. Yeah. Um, I, so I'm taking Auburn two out of three. I will, I will ask if Penta does pitch uh, that she'd not throw that rise ball she threw to Bailey Hempill uh, to any of the batters that Arkansas has. Braxton Burnside will murder that pitch. Yes, yeah, no. There we, again, multiple felonies will be committed by the Arkansas batters if that rise ball is thrown again. Kentucky at Tennessee. We just saw both of these teams, actually. Yeah. How are you feeling? What are you thinking? <sighs> what have we done to each other? As I quote yeah. Gone Girl. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, I really don't know because this is a, a tough one because, like I said, I just watched some three games winning two of them, and I still am not 100% sure what Kentucky is. But the thing about it is I think I have a little bit better handle on what Tennessee is, especially offensively, and I think Kentucky is better. Uh, So I am going to say Kentucky goes on the road and wins two out of three. Dang it, Tom. That's what I had written down too. I mean, I just, you know, it's written on the pad. Ashley Rogers wins game one, and Kentucky wins the last two games. I I, – Oh, wow, this is such a boring podcast and we live <laughs> life like this. Why don't we just, yeah, sitting here agreeing with each other. Mm, yeah, I've got Kentucky two out of three. Same exact reasons. I have nothing else to add. Florida at Georgia. Can you pull the trigger here? It's it's so hard to sweep on the road. Surely Georgia can get a, get a game. I'm going to go Florida 2-1. Uh, it's it's the wrong pick. I'm taking Georgia two out of three. 
I can't because really? I know. Yeah, I know we're gonna agree with the final pick. I've got to do something different. This is part of the problem when I have to go first. I know. This is really. This really sucks, <laughs> folks. I am not confidently picking Georgia two out of three, but I feel like this is the truth's last stand. My, like, my she, heart she has- and my head are both saying to me, "Gray, WTF? <laughs> Stop it!" Uh, no, Georgia two out of three. Yeah, I, I think weird things happen in Athens. That's my explanation. And I, I agree with you. Mary Wilson Avant, be good. Be great. Be the ace. Good Lord, I've been waiting for years to see her really take over the SEC because I still believe that she can be a top three pitcher in this conference. It's going to happen someday. Why not against the Florida Gators? Florida has to be uh, – look, we've seen this before, right? We mm-hmm. have seen – Teams get big sweeps against good teams, come back and drop a series mysteriously. I'm yeah. thinking of Alabama in 2019, sweeping Florida, coming home, and losing two out of three to Kentucky. I feel like this is that time. So I'm going to go Georgia two out of three. Okay. I, I think those are that is a legitimate reason and argument. I don't think it's going to happen, but uh, we'll see. Oh, I don't either, but here we are. The final pick, Texas A&M at Alabama Tom this is one that I'm going to go with my heart a little bit over my head on it and I'm going to say Alabama sweeps um, because Alabama needs to sweep them uh, the way that this the season has started off with Arkansas and Florida doing what they're doing Alabama sitting at six and three which is not bad at all uh, but if you're looking to win the conference uh, you need to get yourself to nine and three before you go to Fayetteville. So uh, I think they're, uh, the thing is Alabama has to figure out a way if Herzog is pitching well to scrape a couple of runs across and whoever's pitching against her has to match her pitch for pitch. Yep. Uh, and being at home, I think Alabama can do it. Uh, hopefully they are taking these couple of days and doing what Michelle Smith said, look, use it as reflection, use it as a kick in the butt, what happened in Kentucky, uh, not getting down on themselves picking each other up, leaders stepping up, which we talked about in the post game on Monday. If they're able to do that, I think Alabama's better in Texas A&M and Alabama can win all three games. If they let things snowball like they did against Kentucky, A&M can easily win one and, dare I say it, win two, which would be then the panic button may be much nearer in the vicinity if that was the case. But I, I don't think so. I'm, I'm sticking with Alabama. They get the sweep. I'm with you. I'm taking Alabama 3-0, and we, I think we will know if we're correct based on game one. How Alabama plays in game one, I think we'll – you know, and we say all these games are different, but how Alabama plays in game one, I think will reflect how the rest of the series should go. You're right. Alabama is better than Texas A&M. There is one, to me, one hitter you should be concerned about with Texas A&M. That's Haley Lee. Behind that, Herzog is good at the plate. Fortenberry is good at the plate. Brianna Warren just named SEC Player of the Week. She is good to okay at the plate. The one elite hitter they have is Lee. Pitching, AM is going to hold Alabama in at least one game. But I am confident that Fouts and Kilfoyle are going to play so mad after this past weekend that they can make sure in that game where Herzog or Brodus holds down the Alabama offense, they can keep the Aggies at one or zero runs. I'm taking Alabama to sweep. I think it is necessary. If my picks all prove to be correct, Alabama could be, you know, a game off first place if all this plays out. 
But bottom line, Alabama has to win the series, has to win the series, has to win the series. There is no excuse to lose this series to Texas A&M because, again, Alabama is the way more talented team. And you're right, if A&M wins this series, if A&M looks like the better team, but Alabama still finds a way to eke out the series, I think we need to have a more serious conversation next week. Yep, 100%. Speaking of serious conversations – Holy crap. Mm. It's time for off the wall. Um, I don't even know where to start. Uh, so Tom, please, please go ahead. So I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. This one's going to be just a more general converse, uh, comment about one, a couple of things. One, I hate the fact that we have twice to three times as many comments on the final score graphic after a loss and a win. Um, And I hate the fact that when there is a loss and there are fans that are posting positive things, trying to lift up the team, lift up players, lift up each other, that people feel the need to comment on those comments, something negative. If somebody is having is say, you know, that's okay, girls, we'll get them next time. Or it's all right, ladies you know, look, you know, learn, go for the next one. If you're being negative, no reason to comment under that one, you know, just make your own comment. Don't try to bring everybody else down into your misery. And I feel like there's a lot of that that goes on uh, as part of off the wall. There is plenty more Tom and trust me, we're going to get to it, but this segment, this episode is already long enough to the point where, you know, it just doesn't seem fair. So here's what we're doing folks. And Tom, I hope you like this reference to comic books we are doing our own snyder cut version of off the wall again we spent a very long time discussing the many comments and our feelings about it and why uh, some people just need to chill out and it took a lot of time so later on probably later on today as you're listening on wednesday the full off the wall segment will be released and uh, that'll be something worth hearing yeah, 100%. Again, because uh, we like to have a lot of fun with this segment. Uh, yeah, but unfortunately, after losses, and especially losses like we had this weekend, it gets ridiculously stupid. Uh, so you, you got to kind of, we have to address it a little bit more seriously. So uh, that's what we did here this week. Tom, let's end with some good, good stuff. Yes. Tom's hungry. Woo. There are advantages to being bubble adjacent because we could go wherever we wanted to to eat. And that's mm-hmm. what we did in Lexington. And, and uh, props to Lexington. I don't want to go back anytime soon. Uh, but if we do, we know we'll have some good places to eat. So let's go. All right. What uh, all right. detail what you, you know, had at all these right. restaurants. I'll throw in mine. All right. So we started off. Uh, we got there a little bit later on Thursday. So one of the few things that was still open was actually near our hotel. It was a Japanese uh, place called uh, Takibana, which was... It was interesting because it was Japanese, but it wasn't a steakhouse and it wasn't hibachi. I just got the the pork fried rice. It was very good. If we had a podium, I don't think it makes the podium for Lexington, but it was a, it was a good start. Yeah, I had, I don't, honestly don't even know what I had, but it was good. Something <laughs> I, in a bowl. Yeah, something in a bowl, noodly, soupy. I had dumplings as well, which are always a win. Right. There you go. The next one after the win on Friday. Well, first before that, we tried to go have brunch. What was the name of the place that we tried to go have brunch at? Um, oh, uh, doodles doodles yes looks really good uh we got there and 
you had, they weren't serving you face to face. You had to call them and they would bring out the food. You could sit in their patio. But when I called, it was a 30 minute wait. You called two minutes later and somehow became an hour wait. So um, uh, cross doodles off and we ended up just going to Chick-fil-A. There, would have loved to have eaten at doodles, but didn't have the opportunity. Next up, we went to uh, Pies and Pints after the Bama win, celebratory pizza pie. And uh, it was very good. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And they also had a uh, draft root beer, which was top notch. Yeah, I had uh, just a regular old cheese pizza because that's my pizza order. Had some good beer. Um, we watched basketball. We made a little jaunt to Insomnia yes. Cookies afterwards. and But overall, really good meal. Pies and Pints is actually a place I had been to before years ago when I was in Lexington, just as good as I remembered. Yeah, very good. That Interestingly, they had the cheese, then the toppings, and then drizzled the uh, tomato sauce on it, which I, I don't think I've ever had pizza that way. But, but I was, there was, I was also a little sauce under the cheese as well. So it was a mix. A At little foundation. Pie, yeah. Okay, there's a little foundation, but uh, I wasn't opposed to it. It was good. Very good. Then next up was Deviate next. Yeah. And I think Deviate is going to win for my weekend. It was uh, Deviate Kitchen, the letter D, V, and then the number eight. Uh, And I had uh, basically the equivalent of a breakfast burger. It had uh, uh, an egg on it, bacon. uh, And instead of, like, if you go to BurgerFi, you have uh, tomato, you have a ketchup on the breakfast burger. This had like a Dijon sauce which I think put it over the top. So I think I'm going to go with Deviate as my number one spot, but I I really enjoyed the breakfast burger. I got two things. I got the breakfast taco, which was, I mean, just so good. It was chorizo, scrambled eggs, salsa. Uh, I did it, no jalapeno. Tortilla strips, like little tiny bits of very crispy tortillas. Cilantro cream uh, on corn tacos, really good. I also got the Huevos Rancheros sandwich, basically the same, but on a French roll, which was just killer. I loved it. I thought it was great. Okay, good. And then the last place, this was where you were starving because uh, in the midst of after the loss, and then we watched the basketball game at the roller coaster of emotions, neither of us could eat. So the next next day, Monday, is when we went to a place called The Southern in, uh, in Lexington, which was outstanding. I got a, uh, which, you know, I mean, you kept a commemorative menu <laughs> of that uh, just to, so where you can go in. I got a club sandwich. You got a, what, what, what was it that you got? I got both the Charleston sandwich and the Nashville sandwich. And the Nashville was actually three sliders. Yeah. And I really liked my club sandwich. I would have liked for there to have been some honey mustard or something on it. Uh, instead of just a little bit of mayo. So that's the only thing that is drawing it back. But your Nashville sliders look so good. I tried to bargain with you to get one of them and you were not not budging. I refused. Just flat out said no. Hot chicken, coleslaw, mayo on sliders, three of them. The Charleston grilled ham, pimento cheese on a French roll. You got to be kidding. And folks, maybe I'll tweet the menu. I don't know if enough people ask me, I'll do it. Um, We'll see how many people actually listen this far into the podcast. (laughs) <laughs> it's one of the more creative menus I've ever seen. And I, I was super impressed because there was, from my understanding, one, maybe two guys working in the kitchen the entire day. And literally you could not have more opposite things next to each other on a menu. Every mm-hmm. single item is different from which meat is used to which cheese to which roll. I mean, I'm looking at the first five options on the Southern side sandwiches, a multigrain bread, spinach wrap, ciabatta 
press ciabatta, slider rolls, and uh, and a French roll, and, and other ways sourdoughs here as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it was really impressive. So the southern to me would be my top spot. Again, had you allowed me to partake in a little bit of the Nashville, but that's my bad for not ordering it. I was offering a really good trade because the fries were really good and you didn't get any fries, but, no. uh, but I understood. Uh, so that's why I'm going to stick with DB eight as my top. Uh, but mainly uh, because I, I may have had a mistake in ordering. Hmm. So overall really strong weekend. I can't remember the last time we had a weekend of such good eating Tom. Yeah. I mean, that, that took, that took me back to the origins of Tom's hungry. So I was, now I was, we get ready for Fayetteville because uh, there's a little place called Hammond Trees that will have some gourmet grilled cheese mm-hmm. that I am quite excited for. And I'm, I'm excited that we will have our own car and we can uh, drive when it's going to be 35 degrees and, and windy and we don't have to walk to different places. That gas station is going to be a lot closer in a car. <laughs> that is the, certainly the hope. Somewhere Nathan Sheehan is laughing. We had to get it in at some point, Tom. Wow, we almost went the entire podcast without the inside joke for Nate. Oh man, the rest of you are going to learn one day. We'll write a <laughs> book of what all of the somewhere Nathan Sheehan is laughing <laughs> saying. Yes, that, that there will be many a chapter on Hawaii. Let's wrap this up. Tom, we do have gear. I swear the stuff is in the car. I will bring it on Thursday. Alabama, Texas A&M koozies, stickers. Heck, I might bring some shirts. I don't care. I might just throw it all in the trunk and we'll toss some things out to you fine folks. So come stop by the window. I'll give you some free stuff. Sounds like a plan. And if you would like to find out more about this week and how things are going and how things look, you can tweet us where, Tom? Where can the people find you? Well, they can find me. Of course, you can find the podcast at out of the box underscore pod. But you can find me individually at T Canterbury RTR. That's C-A-N-T-E-R-B-U-R-Y. Uh, talking everything Alabama, talking everything wrestling, talking all sorts of fun stuff. In, imploded uh, NCAA tournament brackets, although my women's bracket, not terrible. Um, and yeah, so brag about it. Stuff. I will. Thank you. <laughs> hey not many people had arizona being indiana in the elite eight that, yes for good reason i mean but <laughs> whatever i'm at gray g-r-a-y underscore robertson you know just give me a follow and check it out i don't know i mean it's hard to want to get on social media right now just because of again how exhausting the last couple of days have been right we're, we're still gonna tweet we're not gonna stop no and, you know, again, we'll, we tell it like it was like this podcast. We tell it like it is. We want Alabama to do well. We will, uh, we will give positive aspects, but uh, if things need to be discussed uh, again with criticism that is constructive, we will do that as well. Again, that's, that's what I thought was great with what we talked with Michelle Smith today. Uh, that was some really quality analytical discussion and not just learn to hit. Mm. Yeah, if we're not being as negative as you are or you want us to be, that doesn't mean we're pumping sunshine and talking about unicorns and whatnot. Um, Maybe it just means things aren't as bad as you think. Right. Doesn't mean we're being pompous or any of those other type of things. I don't know. I've been accused of many a thing in my lifetime. Who knows? Who really knows? Just like some of the people on the podcast, you might not know the real me. I don't know. I might just be (laughs) terrible. Just a oh, no. rude jerk all the time. You don't have buckets buried <laughs> anywhere, though. 
yeah, somewhere, no, that, somewhere you and I are laughing pretty much. I think it's the only people that'll get that. I, I have not buried buckets. I, I choose not to go into nature for many reasons. So <laughs> don't worry. There are no buckets buried anywhere. <laughs> wonderful. That's uh, we got to wrap this up. A wonderful show. Michelle Smith, superb tonight. Tom, again, I think I want to reinforce this. One of my favorite interviews. And I think just overall, one of the most interesting things we've heard from a guest overall this is our third season of the show and I, I do contend that was one of our top three conversations agreed I thought it was very uh, it was inspiring as far as I was concerned and hopefully anyone that hears that will take it the same way mm. so a big thank you to Michelle Smith and of course thank you all of you tuning in from anywhere across this great state great country great planet for tuning in each and every week we're so happy you're with us we're so happy you're following this podcast and following this team Again this week, it's weird, y'all. We're playing Thursday, Friday, Saturday so that we can all be with our families on Easter Sunday. Alabama, Texas A&M coming up again Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Tom and I will be together on the Crimson Tide Sports Network on 93.3 FM and elsewhere. Tom, as this weekend, we make our big jump to Big Learfield. Yes, yeah, we're going to be on, uh, on the full network. Uh, so you can still hear it, 93.3 FM, like you said, praise 93 three.com the praise app uh and i think this actually puts us on the TuneIn app as well now so yeah. uh you'll be able to to hear us uh wherever you want uh and the easiest way as i've said numerous times is go to the rolltide.com schedule page every game next to it there's a watch live link if you want to if it's not on the regular tv it's on streaming you can just click that there and you can also click live audio and live stats and that live audio takes you right to us and Tom will be there for all three days. I will be with him Thursday and Saturday. Sydney Little, John Watkins, and I are there on Friday. Uh, just if you're watching and you think I'm talking obscenely a lot about Texas A&M's catcher, it's because I do indeed love Haley Lee. Tom, you know it. She's one of my favorite players. Uh, well, we, we all have our favorites on the opponents, uh, so uh, that's okay. We I hope Haley does well, but I hope the rest of the team not so much. <laughs> Well, we'll see how it plays out, won't we? <laughs> we will. We will. So for my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Greg Robertson saying so long. You know, you got to support things when they're good. You got to support things when they're bad. We try and do that, and we hope you do the same. Again, the sky is not falling. There is no need for a life preserver. Things are going to be all right. And at the end of the day, folks, it's a blessing that we are even playing softball. Thank you so much again for tuning in. We'll see you next time on the Out of the Box Podcast.